Hi everybody, thanks for joining us for another edition of Hold My Dream, where we navigate the news and politics with a chaser of civility. I'm your host, Jen, inviting you to grab your favorite beverage, sit back, and imagine with us how to create a new American identity together. So welcome to this week's Hold My Drink podcast. Today I have Giannis Gatsionis, also AKA, also known as Johnny G, who is an international journalist. He also has his own awesome podcast called Break Lines. And he calls himself a radical centrist, which I love. And that's what we're going to talk about today is, is kind of the middle. But first question, um, Johnny, did you bring anything good to drink for this conversation? Rather boring this morning. I'm trying to pace myself um, <laughs> for, you know, wait until Friday evening to crack open the harder stuff. Right now it's just coffee and cream. Okay. All right. Well, and you are in California, you know, so it's lunchtime for me. I did. It's Friday. I did get a glass of wine. So I'm, I'm jealous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, that's what happens when you move from Austin to, 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 to sunny San Diego. Right. <laughs> what else are you guys going to do in Texas? Given all you've been through, then drink at noon on a Friday. I mean, why not? Right. And the, the mm. weather sucks. To, I mean, it's obviously it's, we're not we're not freezing anymore, but it's kind of crappy outside. So it's like it's a pajama day. I already did my coffee, so it's wine. So anyways, but OK, Johnny, so you and I have been friends for a while. And one of the things that I want to talk to you about is you call yourself a radical centrist. And I love that. I want to kind of steal it from you a little bit, actually. <laughs> but, it's trademarked. Um, you can't. Oh, damn it. Damn it. Uh, well, I'm truth in between. Right. So I'm kind of I'm kind of a radical centrist too, just a different name. But I loved, you know, a while ago. You wrote a piece on on navigating the middle uh, for the San Francisco Chronicle. And one of the things that I'm having a problem with right now in this day and age with our politics and the polarization, the things that both of us deal with, is the middle's almost become like a nasty word. And so there's you know, you always hear people throw out these quotes and I don't have them down, but something like, you know, if you don't stand for something, you stand for nothing. And all that seems to go like, well, if you don't say like, if you're in the middle, you don't stand for something. And I, I think that you and I see that very different. I mean, you and I see it similar, similarly in that we do not agree that if you're in the middle, you don't stand for anything. But there's a lot of um, vitriol right now about, you know, if you're in the middle, that's just because you don't have a stance and, and, and you need to be pushed aside for someone coming in with, a stronger voice. And I love what you wrote. So give me an idea what you're seeing in the world right now. What does it mean to be a radical centrist? I think it's frankly where the action is. Um, people can try to malign the center, but if there's one lesson, one takeaway from the last few years, it's how much the polar extremes are doing to destroy this country. And the sooner we wake up to the fact, the sooner we can heal. Uh, neither the far left nor the right is doing anything to solve the problems of this country. Yeah. They're destroying it. Absolutely. And so if we really want to get somewhere, we are going to gravitate to the center. Let me qualify what I mean by center. Please. It is not being milk toast. It's not um being endlessly compromising it is uh 
you, you can be a principled centrist and uh, take stances on issues, but it is about using reason. It's about using logic. It's about not reflexively responding to issues, falling for the easy temptation of identity politics, mm -hmm. which both the left and the right are doing. Mm -hmm. And if we are to heal, emphasis on if, that's where we'll find ourselves. What do you think, like, let's look at both the, the right and the left and the extremes and where we've been pulled apart. Let's start with the, the right. Uh, what do you think the right is doing to pull us more away from the center? They have rejected uncomfortable truths. Mm -hmm. uh, they've gone even further in rejecting the basic tenets of democracy when the side you don't support wins, you grudgingly accept the fact. There is no acceptance. There has been a, a complete repudiation of democracy itself. Um, an investment in uh, things that are just simply pleasant to their ears. Um, they have their own strain of identity politics and we can get to the, the less strain later if you'd like. Um, unfortunately, this is justifying what has become a very toxic force uh, in our political landscape, which is the liberal left wing of the Democratic Party, i.e. wokeness. Mm -hmm. um, and that really needs to be addressed if we are to fix this country. Uh, we have to get back in touch with our democratic ideals. But the right is justifying wokeness and all the baggage that comes along with it. And so in some ways it's, um, it's a downward spiral. It's a race to the bottom. A race to the bottom. You know, that's interesting. And, and let me ask you something, cause I'm not sure, like it's kind of which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? I see the right reacting in some ways to wokeness. Do you think that wokeness is a reaction to the, to the hard right or the hard right is a reaction to wokeness? <laughs> I know right. that's a hard question, but I mean, I, I, I really do feel from my vantage, it seems that, you know, we've always dealt with, you know, radical right wing people, you know, throughout our history, but it seems more visible now. And I feel like it is a reaction to some of the illiberal left. Would you agree or do you think it went the other way where the right came out harder and the left responded to the right? Does that make sense? Sure. Uh, a topic that's come up frequently of late is uh, white nationalism. Mm -hmm. And we keep talking about white nationalism is a huge problem and blah, 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 blah. Um, I don't wanna be dismissive of its rise. Um, in fact, if you look at the Capitol riots, we can trace uh, some of the, the actors there to white nationalist groups. Right. And here they were hell bent on just overrunning the Capitol and um, rejecting a free and fair election. Very problematic. But what these articles don't address and something the same people who are writing these articles insisted we do when it came to Islamic extremism is looking at the root causes. Mm -hmm. And if you take 
if you address the illiberal wokeness that is taking over a lot of our key institutions from the media to universities to classrooms, uh, then you, and the workplace rather, you, um, you are going to uh, address one of the root causes. I do think that white nationalism, it's always going to be there, but it wouldn't be the problem as is if not for uh, wokeness. Yeah. It's really fueling the fire. Yeah, I feel like I've seen it become more extreme. I think a lot of the stuff that I've been working on is that the whole like kind of shame and blame has created a an anger that has just been magnified. So you might have had the white white nationalism there already. I don't think we're you know try as we might you know you're, there's always going to be uh, some just crappy people. <laughs> But uh, I see that the, the shame and the blame that's coming out of the wokeness, particularly towards white men, has created a, a discomfort that has, has really taken on a life of its own that concerns me. Uh, that said, yeah, I mean, what happened at the Capitol was so wrong on so many levels. I don't even know where to start with that. Um, what do you think now that we are seem to be past? I mean, I, I worry that there will be the specter of Trump will continue to kind of pervade our national dialogue for some time to come. I mean, I think he still has, you know, um, a strong enough support base that we're going to see these rises in, in uh, various pocket nationalist movements around the country. Do you see us though moving in a new direction now that we're kind of over the Capitol riots? We've, Trump's kind of calmed down a little bit. We haven't heard too much from him. He started to talk a little bit again. Uh, where do you think that we're going with the new administration? Are we, is this administration an administration that can walk that middle? that can walk that line? Or do you see it um, leaning more towards that a liberal left as well? It's a great question. And I think um, it remains to be seen. We, the early signs though, I don't think are good. If you look at, for example, Kamala Harris's uh, acceptance speech, um, she inserted race maybe three or four times into, into it, uh, pandering to the uh, woke left. And um, look, let's face it, wokeness has become a really dirty word in a short period of time. Mm. In the wake of the Floyd protests, it was all the rage. It was, but then we started to get a clearer sense of what wokeness is really all about. Um, there was more scrutiny. And it's not a good look. Uh, it is no longer equatable with justice. It is no longer equatable with liberalism. Uh, and so I think this administration has to be very careful. Um, indeed, getting back to the, the, the radical center, uh, if it wants to survive and flourish, it's going to have to do more to gravitate to people in the middle. Um, there's a lot of people um, on the left side of the political divide, and obviously the right, who are not comfortable with wokeness. So, Biden and, and Harris uh, might appease the far left by inserting identity politics into uh, every speech. 
but I don't think it's a sustainable formula. Mm-hmm. Now, Biden has also been guilty of, of uh, pandering to the woke left, and sometimes in a very reflexive way. If, for example, you look at the Capitol riots. Um, it seemed within hours, Biden was was claiming that black protesters wouldn't have been treated the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and protests, uprisings are very spontaneous and complex processes. And so to just claim that what happened in response to the Floyd protests was in complete contrast to what happened during the Capitol riots and all of it was relating to race is highly irresponsible. And it's going to turn off uh, voters in the center and obviously on the right. Well, you, but you said something and and I, I hope you're right. You said that you think that wokeness has become a dirty word and what but then again you also just said and i'm I'm hearing what you're saying you know when when biden has you know there's a lot of um race and identity politics still in the talk that we're seeing from our new administration uh what you just mentioned just now about the response the biden administration's response to the capitol riots i mean a lot of it did hinge on race which to me is a lot of the woke dogma so i wonder is it really a bad word? Is it really about what? Uh, is it is it really a bad word? Because it seems like it's still a very popular trend. Yeah, I mean, I think it is among some people, but I think a lot of people are waking up to some of the inherent flaws in wokeism, uh, recognizing how liberal and intolerant it is, how in conflict it is with some of our basic values. Um, And I'm not saying everybody grasped this, but I think there's a growing understanding. Uh, Take for example, my mother, who's a a reader of, uh, daily reader of the hard copy of the New York Times. Um, And she identifies as a liberal, has her entire life. She's fed up. She's starting to see through the race content that uh, proliferates on the pages of the New York Times and how, frankly, it represents a kind of neo-racism. And and this is something I think we as a society have to reckon with. And uh, more and more people as they get canceled, as they see Halloween being taken away from them, the phrases like Merry Christmas and so forth being taken away, people are being forced to take a closer look at what wokeness really represents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, something that was disappointing recently to me, I don't know, did you catch the, um, the commercial over that got all the, the, the Toyota commercial, the middle for Super Bowl? No. Okay. Well, let me tell you about it because it was really crazy to me. Speaking of the middle, it's perfect segue. So it it was uh, Bruce Springsteen who identifies as very liberal, uh, maybe not woke, but you know, left, left, left. So it was a commercial for Jeep and they apparently in the middle of the country in Kansas, that's the middle of the country. And there stands a church and it's like a little like one room 
church in the middle of the country. And that apparently, apparently, according to the ad, which I think it's true, that is like truly the dead center of America, right? Mm -hmm. So the ad is Bruce Springsteen driving around in this Jeep, you know, tough guy. And, you know, he, he, he's like, everyone's welcome to the middle. Well, it just so happened the middle, though, happened to be this church. In and Kansas. Just, yeah, in Kansas. And so, um, you know, he's like, you know, the ground we stand on is our common ground, which I really like that, you know, where the ground we stand on is our common ground. I thought that was really like clever, but so I'm, I'm taking it just all at face value. I'm like, yay, <laughs> yay. Someone is saying, let's get, let's get to this place where we can see each other as uh, in our common humanity. But shortly thereafter, both sides exploded. So the um, right was very angry because it was like, hey, you know, now that you're in power, stop telling us, meet us in the middle, right? Like, why didn't you like meet us in the middle when we were in power, right? You know, it's like now, now, so, so like, we don't want to go to the middle because now, now, now you're using your, your leverage to, to try to bring us there. But to be fair, there was no attempt during Trump's rule to meet anybody in the middle. Well, I would, I was, I would agree with that too. I would agree with that too. Um, but then, but then the, 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 the left got very angry though at this because it was a sign of um, Christian nationalism because this middle happened to be this church. Which again, if I took it at face value, unless there was something more there and I haven't done the research. I mean, I really think that that church really is in like, literally like they chose the center of America and it just so happens there's a church there. Well, and then, and then Johnny, they also, when you look, go inside the church, there is a, um, a, a picture of the United States and it's like the, with a flag on it and a cross over it. So, I mean, I could see how some people were like, well, is this really the middle when, when, when we're identifying America as this Christian country, when we're really so much more diverse than that. So those were the two sides. So I thought it was hilarious that this show, this, this, this commercial that was talking about how we could meet in the middle, basically tore people apart even, <laughs> even more. So both sides were like pissed off. There was no it, middle. It, uh, it leaves one pessimistic about <laughs> whether we can find the middle. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I wrote this article that you mentioned in the San Francisco Chronicle, you invited me to come on this show and reflecting on what's happened in the time since it's, it's it, a lot has, you know, the center seemed like an easier place to find at that time. And that was only what, a year, year and a yeah. half yeah. Uh, than it does today. And, um, you know, the, if we want to, defeat wokeness, obviously the right is going to have to revise its positions, can't continue supporting Trump or a Trump-like figure. That's going to just justify uh, the, the liberalism from the far left. Um, but at some point, I think we might uh, just get fatigued. Uh, so but we're there, not there already? There, there might not be this, I don't think we are. I mean, the, the really? ad that you just described suggests we've got a lot of, a lot of investment in this uh, polarization, but uh, we may find our way to the center, not through some like aha moment as much as a, a slow recognition that things are not working and just exhaustion. Mm -hmm. um, and seeing the destruction in our midst. Um, I mean, isn't this the way like so many wars end up 
dying. They just kind of fizzle out through fatigue and this, this slow awakening to the notion that, hey, this, this really isn't working out for anybody involved. Yeah. Um, and so that might be the only hope for, for finding our way back to a rational center. Well, there was a there was one article that I read. Um, I think it came out last week in the New York Times. Speaking of which, and it was something about the French saying that they were uh, pushing back on American critical race theory, which is kind of funny because you know critical race theory and critical theory all started in France actually with like Michael Foucault and mm-hmm. uh, or Michel Foucault, I believe is how you properly say his name. <laughs> And uh, Derrida and whatnot. And so American scholars took that and applied it to race, applied it to gender, applied it to whatnot. And so I think you do see, and I wondered when I read that, I wondered, is it a is it a starting point where you've got other nations going, oh heck no. Like we're not, we're not buying this, this um American export of critical race theory. And that that may be something that people recognize, oh, this isn't something that's universal. Well, France has had its own battles with multiculturalism. Mm-hmm. And um, we saw that with the uh, North African riots. Was it 2006 or 2007? Gosh, has it been that long? Um, <laughs> check the date. Um, but a lot of that related to multiculturalism and the challenges of in integrating immigrant communities. And they are probably looking at critical race theory and seeing it as as a form of multiculturalism, uh, which it is. And it's about tribalism. And um, in in that way, it's very regressive. I mean, it's very ironic, right? The same people who are telling us to stop thinking about race and trying to integrate these people are overemphasizing essentialist categories. Seeing race in nearly everything. That's as fundamentally tribal as it gets. And uh, it has damaged France in some very concrete ways. So I'm wondering if that's uh, what they're seeing. Yeah, that essentialism, you're absolutely right. And I think that in many ways, that's the one of the dialogues that we have to have. But I feel that like you said, I, I guess we we really aren't there yet because having those difficult dialogues, and this is what I love about your podcast, Break Lines, um, is is your one voice trying to get us to that place. But as you know, uh, both of us being um, independent, we can have these dialogues, but there's not enough people having them because of the idea and the fear of being canceled, I think. Huge, huge problem. And one of the reasons I will not cave into that fear is uh, having lived in and reported from uh, Southeast Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa, um, where the space for dialogue was very curtailed. Um, I learned that besides official censorship, self-censorship, was a huge problem. Mm-hmm. And when I look around the United States now, um, I am, am seeing uh, similarities to those societies that were yearning to become more like America. Right. Um, 
to be feel free enough not to censor oneself. And here in America, in a very short period of time, we're resembling those countries. And um, it's our duty because we do have the legal right to speak out. It's our duty to flex that and not live in fear. And so we have to be pushing, pushing back. Um, and that's, I, I just, I just can't give into it. Now, obviously different people have different considerations. Somebody might have a cushy job and 12 children and you know, right. lots of mouths to feed and a yacht to pay off and, and whatnot. But um, you and I, we take our own risks in doing this, right? I mean, there's some potential professional harm that comes with doing so. But I think in the long run, we're better off for it. We need to have an honest dialogue uh, as it pertains to race, as it pertains to politics. And we're often talking about, you know, being civil. And, you know, I get that, but I think civility is a little bit overrated in that we can be too civil to the point that we uh, actually nurture mistrust, right? Mm. If you're too nice to another person, it's like, okay, mm -hmm. is this sincere? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we have to be respectful, but we have to be frank as well. And we don't see this in the pages of our media. Uh, we don't see it in the classroom discussions and so forth. Right. And um, it does tie into a form of self-censorship. Mm -hmm. And um, that in the long run, I don't think is going to solve anything. Well, I think I, I would say... I, it's not that I would disagree with what you said. I think that we have gotten to the point where disagreement is considered uncivil, where we need to get back to a place where construct there's such a thing as constructive disagreement. So you can we can disagree and not be at each other's throat, but you know I don't have to be quiet or feel like I have to self censor if I disagree. So I mean I think we need to be teaching like how to disagree where we can move that disagreement to some sort of understanding and that doesn't mean and this is where i think people get caught up with if you're in the in in the center if you are you know middle ground or radical centrist in the center that does not mean that you are persuaded by other views or that you're not allowed to disagree or you see all sides and you may see all sides that doesn't mean that you have to you know kind of turn over your views i think it just means that you are able to disagree have some sort of an understanding or empathy because you're listening to the other side. So you're not, you said this, I think at the very beginning, you're not immediately reacting, that you're actually taking into consideration the other side while still maintaining your position, whatever that, that position would be in a conversation where you can, you can civilly disagree and have something constructive happen as a result. And that's where I think that we, what we've lost if, if, insofar as that defines the center. Yeah. I think that's what we've lost. And I'm not suggesting we abandon civility. I guess the distinction I mean to be making is between civility and political correctness, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes mm -hmm. we like shy away from really talking about the issues because we're afraid of offending people. Right. And so that kind of investment or investment in that kind yeah. of civility, I think can be counterproductive. I'm not yes. suggesting a yes. no holds barred match where we're just shouting at each other and saying, screw you. <laughs> you suck. Um, <laughs> Although that's happening. So, it, you know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's happening and, and, you know, not to very productive ends, but yeah.
Yeah, yeah, no, no, they, they, we're we're absolutely on the same page then too. Because I mean, I, I I appreciate disagreement. I think we learn from disagreement. It's it's the fact that we're not even having those conversations where we can even disagree. We're just we're just shutting down. Right. But I'm not going to let somebody tell me I can or can't say this. I can or can't dress up like this for Halloween. For example, like it was two years ago before Corona hit, I dressed up as an Arab. Um, and it wasn't to provoke anybody. It was that I had this just started doing this beard. My girlfriend, who was Muslim at the time, said, you should do it. You know, um, we happened to be going through a thrift store and there was like an Arab head turban a few weeks uh-huh. Halloween. I was like, let's do this. So she ended up making me the costume and whatnot. And my Arab friends were actually in favor of me doing this. It was only the woke left that would discourage such uh, an idea. I ended up doing it anyway. And um, I think I got a few dirty stares, but on the whole, people were like, oh my gosh, I see it. It works. (laughs) I'm I'm going to find some pictures and put them up of you. (laughs) I have them somewhere. but yeah, so we have to, uh, I think we have to be a little freer in, in, in you know, discussing issues like race and, and yeah. stuff like that, so. Well, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that and I'll, I'll kind of, um, you know, wrap us up. But I was thinking, I was just thinking the other day when I was a little kid and I'm talking like little, you know, like know, five years old, six years old. I, on several occasions, I think dressed up at Halloween as an Indian, a Native American. And I did so because, I mean, it was, I loved Native Americans, right? I mean, it was, out, it was out of love. Like, that's what I wanted to be. And so my dressing up wasn't really what I would call, what they would say, cultural appropriation. It was admiration. Uh, and so, you know, <laughs> and that goes to something else, a little right. bit sidetracked. But my, we were laughing the other day. You know, my, my, we, we are a Jeep family. And they were talking about how they were going to change the name of the Jeep Cherokee. Because there was some, yeah, because Cherokee was like, yeah. And apparently, I I can't verify this. My father was telling me, I guess the people who make those decisions for Jeep are headquartered in Amsterdam or somewhere in Europe or whatnot. And they're like, no, no, we're just not. Like, we're not, we're not taking in these American issues and changing the name of the Jeep Cherokee. That's, that's as my father told it. But there are stories and, and I can, and so there's this fine line between offense of which there are plenty of times where there is genuine offense that needs to be discussed. And then this, this sense that we, we, we can't even admire another race without, you know, going to cultural appropriation. So when I, when I dressed up as an Arab, it was a great learning experience. I ended up learning about some of the the, the differences in, in, in robes that mm-hmm. Arab men wore mm-hmm. um, in researching you know, how we were going to construct the, the robe to, to match the, the turban. Um, or the headdress. And um, so it was a wonderful learning experience. It actually allowed me to engage more with the culture. Um, cultural appropriation is essentially encouraging people to remain distant and, and you know, suggesting you stay in your lane, I'll stay in mine. You're over there, I'm over here. And the great thing about the American experiment has been this, this assimilation of cultures. And that has happened through appropriation. Um, and... I'm not suggesting, for example, there's some egregious cases of appropriation. Let's say, for example, a white person takes Native American jewelry, gets the Native American to do it for five cents, then sells it for a hundred at some um, expensive uh, gallery or jewelry store in uh, downtown Santa Fe. 
for example. Um, but short of that, I think it's 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 wonderful, and we should feel free to 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 engage with the many cultures uh, that surround us here in this great country. When I wrote my uh, collection of short stories, Velvet and Cinder Blocks, um, which takes place in settings as varied as Southwest Texas desert, Asian villages, Asian metropolises, New York City, and the American suburbs, um, I'm dealing with all kinds of characters from all different kinds of ethnicities and sexual orientations. And uh, I would not dare to, to think about not doing this because the character I'm trying to develop belongs to some other culture. Mm -hmm. That's not what creative people should be doing. They should be looking at a blank canvas and trying to give uh, voice to these characters in an authentic way. But the idea that I would be restricted by, you know, cancel culture who deems it inappropriate for me to touch anything that's outside of my skin color or other essentialist identity marker uh, is something I won't subscribe to. No. And I think we as a, as a country are going to become stunted creatively. Our, our output isn't going to be nearly as dynamic if we, we do so. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that's what I've always loved about America is that that experiment and that that mixing. I mean, to me, that's like multiculturalism that we can go and try these different things and try them on and where they fit, wear them. You know, as I mean, and I mean, like literally and figuratively as a part of our American identity, as a part of like a unified identity. But that's, you know, that's not where we're at right now. So it should be fun and exciting and creative. And look how Halloween has changed. Right. We've we've gone from, oh, this is a fun day. Should I dress up as an Indian or, or you know, somebody else to. Uh, and look, there are some some bad examples. Right. I mean, there's theories crossing a line and, sure. and and whatnot. But simply dressing up like an Indian, if it's done in good faith. I don't think creates a problem, but we used to approach it like, wow, uh, what should I dress? And now it's like, we're all serious about it. Um, okay. So the whole, the fundamental way we approach, whether it's dressing up for Halloween or putting together a creative work of, of literature or a screenplay has gone from, from, from freedom to restriction has gone from something fun and playful to overly serious. Shoot. Um, I might offend somebody if I dress up as X or write about facts. Well, you just said something really interesting. I, I really, that's, that's part of the problem, I think, with our discussion is this idea of good faith. We've lost trust, <clears throat> excuse me, because of the extremes. So we've lost trust. The, the center has kind of lost, I feel, um, the ability to have a meaningful conversation because of that lack of trust. And we never assume good faith anymore. I think if you assume good faith, so if I were to dress up inappropriately and you were to come to me and say, hey, you know, Jen, being from, you know, Greek heritage, <laughs> I'm really not appreciating how you're appropriating, you know, this, your, this Greekness. How, how dare you like, open up a Euro shop? Yeah, yeah, right. Like your Euros really, really suck, white girl. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but but you know we there, we've lost that sense of good faith. Whereas anything that we say, it's it's taken as offense, and so when and that's what shuts down conversation, where we could start to find that middle again. Great where, point. yeah. Um, 
So, okay, on that, I've got one final question for you. Tell me, for you personally, what does it mean to be a radical centrist? It means essentially being liberal in outlook. And by that, I mean open-minded, willing to open oneself to good ideas regardless of where they come from, to not be overly invested in dogma, ideology, uh, a tribal identity, um, an ability to just to think through and, and, and issues uh, utilizing logic and, and reason. And um, that may leave you uh, supporting some ideas that typically are found on the left and some that are found on the right. And there's no harm done in that. Yeah. Yeah. There isn't any harm done in that, but again, I think with the tribal atmosphere that we're in, it's dangerous. The middle is dangerous. How do you feel it's dangerous? I think it's just, I I think it's, 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 it's everything that we've been saying. If you, are in the middle, you're without a tribe. Tribes are safe. Uh, you're you're kind of it's it's um oh what's the the book uh it's Brene Brown. It just it, it it takes courage to walk away from a tribe. And I think the middle for me is try is is a place without tribes, is a place where you are open-minded, it's a place where you are welcoming of different ideas it's a place of humility where you can go i didn't see it that way maybe i was wrong but also a place of courage where you can say i believe this and not feel that you have um lost a sense of self and so i think that it's a it's a day the middle has become more dangerous in a polarized environment because you don't have a safe place mm-hmm. Well, I would say in my own work, I mean, I get criticized by the left and, and the right um, and being accused of, of being on the other side. Um, what was one quote I saw someone, uh, someone, someone described me, and, and this is somebody who was writing a very uh, far right blog, uh, described me as a, as a communist lefty. <laughs> um, and yeah, but I don't know that it involves so much courage um, as much as just a simple willingness to uh, think independently yeah. and uh, take each issue on um, one by one as opposed to, you know, I think a lot of people feel they they have to believe a certain way on a certain issue because the tribe insists that they do. Mm-hmm. And there's like a fear that if I don't comply, I will be marginalized. Right. Perhaps booted from the tribe. So take, for example, the issue of climate change. Um, I think a lot of people on the right intuitively understand this is real. Mm-hmm. In fact, a few more people since what we saw happen in Texas 
uh, might agree with with right. with its realities. Uh, but um, they wouldn't wouldn't advertise the fact. They wouldn't they wouldn't go to a Trump rally and mention it. They wouldn't go to a church on Sunday and 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 brag about it and and, and ask their fellow conservatives to see that that climate change is a real thing. Um, and so, I, yeah, I do I do feel that there and you, I guess, were alluding to this earlier that there that there is a fear of of, of going against the grain, rocking the boat for what it might do to their own social standing within the tribe. Within the tribe. Well, I'm glad that you are part of my tribe, <laughs> our tribe of our tribe of of, of individuals, one <laughs> tribe of one. <laughs> um, it was great speaking to you. Thank you. You too, Jen. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hold My Drink. Like or subscribe to the show and check out the show notes for links to source material and to our website where you can find what each of us is reading every week. Different news with different views. If you have a topic that you would like us to explore, drop us a line. And join us next week as we say hold my drink and the conversation gets real.